Well, good morning, everyone. We're continuing our series in John today, and we've got today the feeding of the 5,000 and walking on water. And my goal today is to grasp what Jesus really means when he says, feed on me. To grasp what he really means when he says, feed on me. Today, I'm going to do something uh, slightly different to what we've done so far. We've reached John 6. John 6 is a very hard chapter, very difficult chapter. And it's got all the stuff about Jesus saying, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And we're going to, so what I'm going to do, I'm, I'm going to take two weeks to do this. And the first week, I'm going to be looking at like what's going on underneath, not just in John 6, but some of the things we've seen so far in John in terms of Jesus' words regarding him and the Father. Uh, so it's going to be a little different in that I'm not going to be going verse by verse through the passage in quite the same way. I'll do that next week when we've got this really, really important underlying piece in place. Because I think it's so important we grasp this piece, because it's not just important for John 6, but really for the whole of John's gospel. And so that's what I'm going to be concentrating on as, as we go through, and really trying to get, to get to grips with this. So what happens in this? Well, let's actually look at uh, the first, I'm going to go through the first half of the chapter. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd was following him because they were observing the miraculous signs he was performing on the sick. So Jesus went on the mountainside and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Jewish feast of Passover was near. Then Jesus, when he looked up and saw that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, where can we buy bread so these people may eat? Now, obviously, Jesus is not expecting he's going to get a sensible answer from Philip because, like, he's challenging him. Now, uh, Jesus said this to test him, for he knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, 200 silver coins worth of bread would not be enough for them for each one to get a little. Well, you know the story. One of Jesus' disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, here is a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what good are they for so many people? Jesus said, have the people sat down? Now, there was a lot of grass in that place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he'd given thanks, he distributed the bread to those who were seated. Then he did the same with the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were all satisfied, Jesus said to his disciples, gather up the broken pieces that are left over so that nothing is wasted. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with broken pieces from the five barley loaves left over by the people who had eaten. Um, I'm just going to pause there. Um, this is one of the signs. Can you remember which number this is of the signs? John numbers one and he numbers two, and then we're left to count up till seven. Do you remember which one this is? Uh, first, number one was, what was number one? Water into wine. Number two, 
This, the, the, the man's the centurion's son. Yeah. What was number three? The healing. That's right. The healing of the man uh, by the pool. And so this is number four. So, um, why do you, what was the purpose of the signs? Do you remember? At the end of last time we had the purpose of the signs outlined. The purpose was as evidence, as testimony that they should believe in Jesus. They shouldn't just believe because of the signs, but it's the father. The father was like saying, here, believe him through the signs. Um, so, and John is very interested in people's reactions to the signs. So when John gives us a sign, he then tells us how people behaved. So, this is verse 14. Now, when the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus performed, they began to say to one another, this is certainly the prophet who's to come into the world. Then Jesus, because he knew they were going to come and seize him by force to make him king, withdrew again up the mountainside alone. So this is the reaction that they have. And by the way, why do you think we have that thing about gathering up the 12 baskets with broken pieces? What's, what's that in there for? What's the point of that? Yeah? Well, it's very good evidence that it really was like not imaginary because it's, um, it's not like, well, everybody was content with a crumb, you know, and the bread really didn't multiply. But when you get that much gathered up as fragments, far, far more than was originally started there to begin with, it's, he's trying to show you like this, this was real, this really happened. So their reaction was when they saw the miraculous sign that Jesus performed, they began to say to one another, this is certainly the prophet who is to come into the world. Then Jesus, because he knew they were going to come and seize him by force to make him king, withdrew again up the mountainside alone. So here we have a dynamic starting in John, which is going to build, that the people do see the signs, but they're getting totally the wrong direction from them. They're seeing we're going to get freedom from the Romans. Hey, if this man can just produce bread like that, he can feed an army. Like, if he can do supernatural things, we can beat those Romans easily. Let's make him king. We couldn't, that king like this couldn't be defeated. And so they're getting... They're seeing the signs, but they're not hearing what Jesus is saying. And so Jesus has to start being very strong, even stronger in the word that he's using. Then something else happens. This is the fifth sign. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake. So Jesus had gone up the mountain to get away from the people who wanted to make him king. Disciples went down to the lake, got into a boat, and started to cross the lake to Capernaum. It had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. By now, a strong wind was blowing, and the sea was getting rough. Then, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they caught sight of Jesus walking on the lake, approaching the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It's I! Do not be afraid! Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat came to the land where they'd been heading. So that's like an extra part to this miracle. The next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the lake realized that only one small boat 
had been there and Jesus had not boarded it with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came to shore near the place where they'd eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into boats and came to Capernaum looking for Jesus. So one little comment to make about these two miracles is they're they're connecting to a theme we're seeing in John where Jesus is like the new Moses. And in the, the prologue, the first 18 verses of John, that tapestry which weaves all of John together into this poem, it says, grace, uh, so the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So it's contrasting them. So can you see the contrast here in the first story with Moses? Well, I'm sure, I'm sure you can, because, you know, Moses and manna from heaven and them being fed and Jesus is feeding them in the wilderness. But there's a contrast in this story with Moses. Can you see it? Yeah. The Israelites walked through the Red Sea Moses with Moses, but Jesus walked across it. And then when he got to them, bang, they were the other side. They didn't even have to, to walk through. So, so there's a contrast with Moses who took his people across the water and Jesus who took his people across the water in a much more amazing way. So we're seeing these little allusions here coming through. But the people are going to pick up on this very quickly now, particularly the one about being fed. When they found him on the other side, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the solemn truth. You're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate all the loaves of bread you wanted. In other words, they thought free food. This is amazing. Let's follow this guy. Do not work for the food that disappears, but the food for the food that remains to eternal life, the food which the Son of Man will give you, for God the Father has put his seal of approval on him. So this is the first hint of this new kind of food, just as Jesus talked about new kind of drink to the woman of Samaria. So then they said to him, What must we do to accomplish the deed God requires? Jesus replied, This is the deed God requires, to believe the one whom he sent. So they said to him, then what miraculous sign will you perform? You know, they want another sign. So that we may see it and believe you. What will you do? And they're going to give him a hint now of what they want. Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. In other words, hey, Jesus, we'd like some more free food, please. Jesus told them, I tell you the solemn truth. It's not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but my father is giving you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said to him, sir, give us this bread all the time. They're still thinking it's physical bread to eat. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will never go hungry, and the one who believes me in me will never be thirsty. And then I'm just skipping on to verse 57, because this is going to be important for our discussion in a moment. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. Remember that. The living Father sent me, I live because of the Father, so the one who consumes me will live because of me. 
This is the bread that came down from heaven. It's not like the bread your ancestors ate, but then later died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. Okay, so these are tough words, and we're going to spend some time thinking about this today and really trying to understand this. And I believe this is really key. So if we were to go back to... Actually, let's, let's just uh, summarize what we've seen today. Um, Jesus said the people had to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Um, what was he talking about? Uh, and he said, summarize that verse I just last re- read, just as the living Father sent me and I, as I live because of the Father, so the one who consumes me will live because of me. Now, as I spent time studying this passage, I found one key verse which really helped me, and that was one we came across a few chapters ago in John 4, 32 and 34. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. This is when he's at Samaria. So the disciples began to say to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did they? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to complete his work. So the question is, how does this help us? Well, there is a pattern in these verses. Jesus is describing our relationship with him in the same way he's describing his relationship with the Father. His relationship with the Father is a pattern for us. And in chapter 4, he was so satisfied with this relationship with his father that he didn't even feel hungry. So I'm going to give you this image, which is the key image for today. On the left there, you see Jesus' relationship with the father. And I've got a two-way arrow here. So the downwards arrow is that... He is getting everything he needs from the Father. It's like his food is coming from the Father. The upwards arrow is his dependence on the Father and choosing to follow the Father to do the Father's will. And he's saying that his life is flowing into me and my whole being is, exists to serve him. And so this pattern between Jesus and the Father is one that is, is key to this. So then what he's saying, and this is the radical thing, he's saying, you are actually have the same relationship with me, that I actually am going to be for you what the, what I, what, what I have for my father. So I'm actually going to be your life and your power and your strength. And when I get, came to understand this about Jesus' life, a light came on for me that Jesus places himself in this relationship as a pattern for us deliberately. So let me just give you an example of this, another example um, of Jesus' dependence. So Jesus was tempted, the first temptation that we're given, he was tempted to turn stones into bread. How did he reply to that? He replied by saying, Um, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, it's actually God who's sustaining me. And bread is just one way he can choose to do it. But if he doesn't want me to be eating bread, he'll keep me alive some other way because um, 
I'm, and the temptation here that Satan was giving him was to step out of dependence. Do you see that? Same temptation as to Adam and Eve. Step out of dependence on God. Because that dependence is key. Um, I'm able to provide for you. Do trust that I'm going to do that. Um, so I'm just going to need a volunteer to come out. Um, I'm going to ask Viviana just to come out for me now. Now I'm going to pretend that Viviana's running a course here in Toronto and people, we had someone in the church a number of years ago who ran a course like this and it's called How to Live on $10 a Day. And the way it works is this, as she has $10 and she has a group of people, she's showing how that they can live on $10 a day. So she says, okay, come with me into No Frills. And they all go into the supermarket and she says, I'm going to buy this and I'm going to buy this. And they all copy her and they fill, they all fill their baskets. And then she goes to the checkout and she pays her money back. There we go. And she's got her food and she's got a day's worth of food and she shows them how to prepare it and so on. Now, that's great and that's really good because she is actually demonstrating with her life how you can do this. But what if later on in the day she snuck back into the store with her own money and bought a few extra things? That would be bad, wouldn't it? That would be very bad. You can sit down now. Thank you. That would be very bad because that would defeat the whole purpose. So this is, this is the idea I want you to get, that what Jesus is doing, he's setting us a pattern. This is why Jesus, when he was on earth, didn't do any miracles in the strength of his own divinity. He did them relying on the spirit. Otherwise, he couldn't be a pattern for us. And he said to his disciples, all the mighty works that I do, you will do and do more. And so it's key to understanding Jesus' ministry is that he's showing what we can do by dependence on him, by using his relationship with the Father as an example. And um, so I, I think it's crucial that we understand this, and I'd like to really make sure that we get this, and I've got some verses which I want to show you. So uh, I've got some verses here, most of them from John, some of them for the other Gospels, but these are some places that can be very hard to understand if you don't get this key idea. The key idea is this. When Jesus came to earth, he voluntarily, for a short period of time, put himself in a subservient position to the Father and actually relied on the Father for his power. Jesus had the power any time to do things supernaturally, but he chose to rely on the Father. So here we go. The first point is the Father responded to Jesus' prayer, for example, raising Lazarus from the dead, John eleven forty one. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And uh, again, Matthew 26 do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? Um, see, when Jesus was tempted by Satan to turn the stones into bread, that wouldn't have been a temptation if he couldn't actually have done it. Of course he could. But he'd have been using his own. He'd be using the money from his own wallet to do that. It wasn't what the father had given him to do. And he would not be being a pattern for us. 
Then we see Jesus chose to do all his miracles only by the power of the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Now that's a difficult verse if you don't get this principle, because it's not an ultimately Jesus can't do this. It's given the constraints he's put upon himself to be our example. He can only do what he gets from the Father. John 5.30, I can do nothing of myself. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will by the will of the Father who sent me. The, John 14.10, the Father who dwells in me does the works. And then Jesus spoke and did only what the Father commanded him. So this is what he says and does. Uh, skipping on to John uh, 12, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. John 14, the words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. John 8, and he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. And then um, Jesus could at any time have reached into the infinite knowledge that belonged to him as God, but he voluntarily restricted himself to knowledge the Father had given him. Mark 13, but of that Day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. John 15, all things that I heard from my Father, I've made known to you. And then the last point, although not in any way inferior to the Father, Jesus placed himself in a position of dependent submission. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And then John 14, my father is greater than I. So I've taken some time to show you this because I really want you to see that it's not me saying it this morning, it's Jesus saying it. And this is going to be so crucial that if Jesus is willing to exist only in the strength that the father supplying to him, how much more should we be willing to live only in the strength that Jesus is supplying to us. And this is very clearly the pattern he's trying to give us in this passage. So let's, uh, let's look at some of these things. Just then, I wanted to summarize this. Jesus lived every moment and breathed every breath to obey the will of the Father. To do the Father's will was his drink, his meat. It was everything to him. He did not do anything in his own strength, but did everything by the power that flowed from the Father. So uh, the problem is that having lived his life like this and demonstrated this, then Jesus says to us, follow me. That's where we come into the picture. That's where it gives us problems. And um, he wants us to follow him in this. What does this mean? Well, when Jesus came to earth, he had one agenda, and that was to do what the Father had given him, the task the Father has given him. We're to follow him. That's to be our agenda. Our agenda is to say, why, why, Jesus, have you put me on earth? 
What am I here for? My one goal is to find out why I'm here and to do what you want me to do. Um, and that is something we're called to do, that our dreams and ambitions become his dreams and ambitions. And our, our, our food and drink is to do his will. It's not that Jesus didn't do things that were pleasurable. Jesus did pleasurable things. He ate nice food. But he didn't do that. He did that because that was something that was you know, part of living his life when the Father gave him. Um, but I want to say that this is a tough teaching and no wonder people stopped following him at this point. No wonder people turned away um, because it's such a tough thing. Just an image um, you might have a, a, a teenager might have a poster on their bedroom wall of some some star that they want to emulate, whether it's a sports star or a movie star, and they, they just emulate this person. They want to dress like them. They want to be like them. They want to learn about their life. They want to learn about this person's tastes. Kind of, uh, it could be sort of like that, but uh, our pattern is that we read about him and we pray to him and we want to be like him and imitate him in that way. Um, so this is the point when obedience and faith meet together. Because you can't really obey him in this way unless you really trust him. If you don't think he really knows the best way, and Jesus' Jesus' way isn't the best way for you, you're not going to do it. So obedience and faith come perfectly together in this. That if you really trust that his way is the way to life, then you will follow it. But if you've got some suspicions, like the suspicions that Adam and Eve were, had put into their, into their thinking, then you won't be able to do that. Um, so obedience and faith meet together. Uh, many years ago, um, when my daughter was very small, uh, we, she, she played it, used to like to play a game with me. And We'd be, as we'd been walking along, we'd be holding hands. She'd say, oh, Daddy, could we play a game that you're blind and I'm leading you? Close your eyes, Daddy. <laughs> so I would have to close my eyes and she would lead me along and I'd have to trust she was paying attention. She wasn't going to walk me into a, into a lamppost or a pole or off into the, and I tell you, it was hard. I mean, with a five-year-old girl who's not paying attention, you know, to trust her. But actually, she never did walk me into anything. She was always trustworthy. But I realized that actually, to do that, you have to trust. To follow, you have to trust. And that, that doing that with her reminded me, yeah, this is a little bit like what I am supposed to be doing with Jesus. Um, sometimes it doesn't seem like the natural thing to do. It seems like... It seems like a death to our own good. It seems like if I do this and follow Jesus, I'm going to be missing out big time. And that's where there's a trust involved. And we can only really obey him if we believe him. In fact, I'm going to suggest that um, that actually when Jesus says, follow me, he uh this is where obedience and faith mixed together, and it's in fact it's impossible to do unless we really have his supernatural power. Um, I would, Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And that it's only by the Spirit in us that we can do this. 
Um, this is a, like a surrender of our life, but it's in a, it's not in an, a, a passive way, but it's in an active way. Uh, so it's a victory that we can only get through God's power living in us. And uh, I would say that if you're not a Christian right now, then this is the same message for you. This is what it means to become a Christian. And in the same sort of way, it's impossible. In the same kind of way, it's impossible without God's supernatural power. But what Jesus says, if you begin to believe, you believe what you have, you begin to step out in belief, then he will give you the strength. Do you remember that man that we, we, we looked at a couple of Sundays ago who believed Jesus just enough, believed Jesus just enough to go and go back to his son, who Jesus had said was going to heal. And when he got there, his son was healed. Do you remember that story? Well, his faith was on a journey. And it's the same with you. That you may say, well, this is impossible for me to do this, like, like seriously, my whole life. But as you start to do it, the power of God flows into you. It's not like a, an, an all or nothing. You can't say, well, you know, I'm just going to stay in bed till the power of God comes on me and gives me the strength to, to live this life. No, it's as we begin this walk, his power comes into us to do it. And um, so I, I would say that, yeah, um, before I was a Christian, I used to try and work up enough strength in myself to believe in God and to, to follow this life, and it just didn't work. And it wasn't until I said, Lord, I'm powerless. Lord, I can't do this. I can't become a Christian. I'm just powerless. You won't have to do everything for me, God. You're just, I'm just going to give myself to you, and you have to do everything, and God saved me. And it was that act of realizing my powerlessness actually brought me into salvation. Um, but um, So this, this is a challenge then. And Jesus said, feed on me, follow me, believe in me, abide in me. But the good news is that what seems like a death, what seems like dying to all the good things that we want, actually leads to life. And this life that we have is, even though it's death to self, the irony is it eventually leads to life and we get back a hundred times more than we put in. And what we sacrifice for God, we get back so much more, so many more times. Um, you know, um, uh, you look at um, inventories that are done on wealthy people and you discover that very, very wealthy people are actually less happy and less satisfied with their possessions than, than people who are not wealthy. And as you get more and more, you get less and less satisfied. And it's an illusion. And this world doesn't satisfy and uh, it just gets a hunger, like the woman of Samaria, a hunger and a thirst that doesn't get satisfied. Attempting to satisfy us outside of Christ doesn't work, but in him we get satisfied. And Jesus said, whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So the irony is, actually, if you want to have the best, the happiest life, the best strategy is to give it to Jesus and to lose it for him. And that will give you the best possible life. It can seem foolish, but actually you get the, the ultimately the most. Um, another thing Jesus said, why do you spend money for what is not bread? And you're sorry, Jesus didn't say this. This is Isaiah said this. 
speaking of Jesus. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live. So, but at the same time, even though in some way it's a death, it's not even in some ways even a hard life. Because Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And his uh, his payment, his reward is just so so much more than we would get otherwise. So I just want to go back to um, this picture. And as we're coming to a close now, I want to just summarize what this means, what this picture means, and really try and get this deeply into us. What does it mean to live a life of obedience and submission, this life of total obedience and submission? Well, I'm going to speak a bit more next week as we unpack the verses as Jesus actually details what this means. But just to summarize, I'm going to say that it's four things. Um, it's uh, feeding him, it's coming to him, it's trusting him, it's following him, and it's obeying him. And we have to rest on him, the upward arrow, rest on him in obedience and abandoning, abandoning ourselves to him, and in return, we're getting his strength and in his power. Now, um, God has this thing I've talked about before that he likes to... Um, he likes to kind of, I think, play games with me about the sermons that I'm preparing. And I don't often realize it to start with, but I really wasn't feeling very good this morning as I was preparing the sermon. I was thinking, Andrew, I, how are you going to preach this message this morning? How can you do it? You don't have the strength to do it. I wasn't feeling very good at all. Um, and um, of course, I'm not going to do this in God's strength. Of course, He's he's giving me an object lesson that he wants me to demonstrate that actually I don't need my own strength. I can preach this sermon completely trusting in him. So I said, God, Jesus, okay, I get it. It's your power I'm going to be living in. I can't do this right now. You do this in your power. And I just gave the whole thing over to him. I gave it up to him and said, you take this over. And um, so I want to say to you that... that um, you can't live this life unless you give it to him. Unless you say, I can't do it. I need your strength. I need you. But as you recognize that you can't do it and your own inadequacy of living the Christian life, that's when you're open to his power coming in you. And so Jesus is calling you to do this. He's calling you to do this. And he's calling you. And I'm going to ask the, the worship team to come up now as we're coming to a close. He's asking you to say, um, what should I do? What am, what am I, what am I to do now? How am I to, to, to live my life now? What are you telling me? Sometimes he speaks to us through his written word. Uh, I would say that's the surest way of hearing what he's saying. But sometimes we just have an impression. This is what he's saying to me. And, um, uh, I, I'm naturally a very shy person. And, um, you know, 30 years ago, I was pathologically shy. You know, I, I, to speak to somebody I didn't know would be terrifying to me. And uh, I was reading this, this passage and I was, I was, um, 
I kind of beginning to understand what it meant. And um, I was at, at the end of a, a church meeting. It was a, a big church I was going to at the time. And I, I just thought, God, I've got to ask you what I should do now. Um, and you tell me, and then I'm going to trust you to do it. So I said, God, what should I do now? Please show me. And I sat back and opened my eyes, and there was somebody I'd never seen before, a stranger visitor was in church right the other side. And I felt God saying, go and talk to that person and welcome them to church. I thought, no, I can't do that. Uh, I thought, haven't you just prayed for strength? And so I got up out of my seat, and I went over there, and I said hello to them and greeted them, and it was God's strength that did it. And God can ask us to know that. You may say, well, that's just a little thing. You know, anybody could do that. Well, it was tough for me at that moment. But what we're going to do now is an exercise. And we're going to ask God to show us what he wants us to do, to, to do. Anything in our lives he wants us to change. Anything he wants us to do. And we're going to pray for this. And it's up to you. You don't have to pray it with me if you don't want to. But I want to challenge you to open up your life to God right now and to say, God, how can uh, uh, how can I do this? How can I live submission to you, to Jesus? And and I want you to give me the strength to do this. I want Jesus' power to be in me to do this. Are you up for this? Okay. So let's pray, shall we? And you pray with me if you want to. I believe, God, that you've given me Jesus as my power, my food and my drink, everything I need for my life. And you've given him as a pattern to follow. So Jesus, I ask you now to show me what you would like me to do. Whether right now or this coming week or in my life, I want you to show me what you want me to be doing. And Jesus, I want you to give me the strength to do it because I can't do it by myself. Please give me the strength, I pray. Ask it in your name. Amen. Amen.